So since my uh, glasses have gone missing, we're going to start in the uh, where we left off in the last class. I believe it's the third chapter. Is it, does that sound right? Of Shemot, uh, Exodus, the third chapter, and um, we'll uh, we'll start reading in a moment. Um, We'll start with verse. We'll start with verse uh, four. Let's before we go there, let's do a little um, what do you call it? prep work so that we remember where we're at in the story. Um, Levi dies. He is the oldest uh, living or the longest living of the first of the 12 sons of Yaakov. Uh, when Levi dies, things sort of go downhill pretty quick. It says that the new Pharaoh that was alive didn't remember Joseph. And we don't know exactly if he didn't remember or it was a new regime, but one or the other, it, he refused to acknowledge Joseph and any type of favors to the Hebrew people. Uh, their their population exploded. The the growth of the community exploded. They were having many children. They were very prosperous. They were doing well. But it seems that the Pharaoh, uh, in a classic, what I call political move, decides that the Hebrew people are are, are a, uh, a danger to the state of of Egypt, the the nation of Egypt. And so what he decides to do is to uh, tax them in some way. And the way he's going to tax them, he, he provides what they call a taskmaster mas, master over them uh, to uh, labor or work them. Uh, one of the uh, Midrashim says that, um, that Pharaoh sort of conned them into the whole thing, talking about building the state of Egypt and build the nation and we're going to build greater storehouses and we'll get everybody involved and knowing that the Hebrew people were hard workers and very conscientious about contributing their part to living within the nation he shows up the first day to work and he is he has got the plow in his hand and all of the Hebrew people see the Pharaoh and all of his his court working and so they decide we're going to work with them we're going to be part of the great team and it isn't long until the next couple of days they realize that Pharaoh's nowhere to be found and he's got them involved in this. The labor and work become so intensive that uh, even to some point that he did not want, remember the, the whole thing of killing the firstborn or the sons didn't work, right? Obviously that was a failure. Uh, so he decides to increase their, their hard labor and he figured out I can work them so hard that they won't reproduce. Right? They won't have time. They'll be too tired to do it. As a matter of fact, what I'll do is I'll tell all the men, it's better for you to stay in the field because then you could come to work earlier. You don't have that long trip from your home, so sleep in the field. And, but that didn't work because the wives visited their hubbies in the field. And so, as we know, that did not stop the procreation of wonderful Hebrew children. And... Um, it, then the, he figured, well, then if I can't stop the growth that I'm going to labor, I'm going to work them, and I'm going to get every dime, every cent, every penny 
out of this plague that we have of the Jewish people. In the meantime, they are attempting to at least, according to the Midrash, keep Shabbos, trying to observe, trying to do their very best. It said that they, they, uh, they continue to uh, maintain at least a proper bearing in their walk with Hashem. But the problem was is that they're working now so hard that it's hard for them to serve Him. Now, think about it for a second. What would you possibly be doing that would make it impossible for you to serve Hashem? What? Say again? Working, working on, on Sabbath would be one. How about working to where you can't pray? Right? Uh, possibly having to do certain types of labor that are violating certain times or seasons uh, that, of remembrance. It ended up becoming such a back-breaking thing that Hashem hears their cry. If you'll go to the third chapter and someone read, um, starting with verse... Yeah, first four. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he answered, here I am. And he said, do not come closer. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. I am, he said, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, pause right there. In verse 2 it says, An angel, a melech of Hashem, uh, appeared to him in a blaze of fire from amid the bush. We know that Hashem does not have a form or figure, right? So whenever we see a physical manifestation of something that is um, of the projection of Mimra of Hashem, in a physical form, it is, it is described as a melech or an angel, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is what this fiery bush was not, it didn't look like an angel with wings. I guess that's what I want to say. It wasn't like some angel standing there. But it, because it was a physical manifestation of, a, of the supernatural, it was a physical manifestation of an invisible God, then that burning bush then became the angel, the messenger. Does it make sense? So we also remember that any time that Hashem is going to communicate with us, with humanity, He communicates through a messenger. And that is what an angel is. So I just want to establish that. He gets to this place. Moshe turns. is scared to look at the bush. He's scared to even view uh, the face of Hashem or to look upon the bush. And then God says to remove your shoes because you're on holy ground. So God, I believe, is Asian or Hawaiian. So I think that's a Hawaiian tradition, right? Uh, and he said, I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Yaakov. Moses hid his face. Hashem said, I have indeed seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. Verse 7, the, uh, its taskmasters master, mask, Apart from other consideration, God responds to the disparaging outcry of the downtrodden. One of the things that we know strums the heart of God's compassion is the downtrodden, right? Think of the two cities that were non-Jewish uh, cities 
that were destroyed by God, can we name them? And there's another city, or another uh, section of city, Tyre and Sidon, right? They were not, they, they were not, you know, Jewish cities. Why specific judgment coming up on Tyre and Sidon? We also know of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Tyre and Sidon is really interesting. And Rabbi Singer did a piece on it this week. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but he and I were chatting about it. And, you know, there are a lot of parallels to, to our own country as Tyre and Sidon. Uh, the reason why is Tyre and Sidon were the, like it was the wealthiest Mecca of the Mideast uh, for... 600 years, something like that. I mean, it was like, it was on top of the world. And what had happened, it, it, it was at the hub of trade in the, in the Mideast, right there off the Mediterranean. Tyre Sidon is right near where uh, Lebanon is located. So you can kind of get a geographic idea. And what they would do is traders would come in from all over the world to bring their goods further east. Uh, and traders from the east would caravan in and trade out to the oceans to the west. Well, what would happen is they would, they would say, well, you can trade with us, but you can trade only using our money, our currency. And so what they did is they used their currency, but they created an inflated currency to where the people that were coming in were having to sell their items for a lot less than they were valuable. It was not fair trade at all. And then they would turn around and resell the product. So they, they could not sell it to the markets in the East if you were from the West. And you couldn't sell your stuff from the, in the West if you were from the East. You had to sell it to Tyre and Sidon. And then Tyre and Sidon sold it, but they marked it up. And they made extra money. They were just absolutely filthy rich. But there was so much injustice that the prophet says that God has seen your weighted scales. Do you see what I'm saying? The weighted scale. God has seen your weighted scale. Why? Do you think God cares about how much money someone makes? No. He doesn't, he doesn't care about how so much money is made, how much a country makes. That's immaterial to him. What he cares about is what they do with that money. Whether they do proper tzedakah, charity, in, in, a, in a community. Do they take care of their people? And you can say, well, you know, maybe they had a charity system set up. But the whole idea is if, if, if trade practices are absolutely unfair and it leads to poorer people getting poor and richer people getting more wealthy, then something is wrong and there's an injustice. We've heard our, our uh, illustrious president talk about the in, uh, inequality of financial, what is it, wealth inequality, something like that, right? And I find it interesting, under President Clinton, it was around 25% uh, of the wealth went to the upper level. Under President Bush, 67%. Under uh, President Obama, it's 125% of all the wealth is going to the wealthiest people. Now. You know, I don't know if he's doing it, who's doing it, how it's doing it, but obvious, what's obvious is the richer are getting much richer in this country and the poor are getting much poorer. And now we're having to have whole systems of government just to prop up and to take care of the poor people, which is noble. It's a great idea. But a true society 
that is prospering needs to be a society that is free to prosper at all levels. And whenever injustice begins to happen at the lowest level of people's lives, it strums the heart of God. It strums on His compassion. And if there is ever a time in which we could see redemption come to the nations and come to uh, all people is for the world economies to begin to be shifted to where the upper classes become much more wealthier and the poor become much poorer all around the world, at some point God's going to call an end to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that will be about redemption. God hears the cries of his people. How about the people of this age? I don't think that, that righteous people in the world is miserable enough yet to say, come Hashem. Right? I don't know if we're that miserable yet. I mean, I think that many of us would love to see find the final redemption, wouldn't we? And we talked about it before class. You know, can you imagine if we'd all get to go together? We're talking about the tornado that possible coming, right? So, right, right, we're not we're not doomsdayers, and we're not we don't have a suicide pact. So, but some of us are just comfortable where we are. We're yeah, some people are comfortable where they are, and so uh, listen, we do. All of us love our families and our life and love what we're doing. But deep down inside, you can love all of those things and have great prosperity, but deep down inside, want redemption. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we should be. This isn't about trying to become miserable. This isn't about selling all your goods and go living out in some poverty-stricken era area to merit redemption. Meriting redemption is a condition of the heart and the soul. The people of God are miserable in, with their burdens. And it says, uh, verse, um, let's continue on. Verse 7. And the Lord continued, I have marked well the plight of my people in Egypt and have heeded their outcry because of their taskmasters. Yes, I am mindful of their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In the region of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Moreover, I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you shall free my people the Israelites from Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and free the Israelites from Egypt? And he said, I will be with you. That shall be your sign that is that it was I who sent you. And when you have freed the people from Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Moses said to God, When I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name what shall I say to them and God said to Moses he continued thus shall you say to the Israelites sent me to you and God said further to Moses thus shall you speak to the Israelites the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
this shall be my name forever. This my appellation for all eternity. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have taken note of you and of what is being done to you in Egypt. And I have declared, I will take you out of this misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to you. Then you shall go to the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, manifested himself to us. Now therefore, let's go to a distance of three days into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Yet I know that the king of Egypt will let you go only because of a greater might. So I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with the various wonders which I will work upon them. After that he shall let you go, and I will dispose the Egyptians favorably towards this people, so that when you go, you will not go away empty-handed. Each woman shall borrow from her neighbor and the lodger in her house objects of silver and gold and clothing, and you shall put these on your sons and daughters, thus stripping the Egyptians. Okay, let's stop right there. So Hashem is telling Moshe, look, not only are you going to get out, but you're going to get out with their credit cards and all their cash. Okay, and they're going to give it to you. They're going to, they're going to be glad to give you this exit out. Now, this probably seems much grander in, in Moshe's mind. I'm sure he's like thinking, there's no way this is going to happen, right? But it, uh, what, what God is telling him is just so astounded. He says, look, you know, uh, he says, and now pl please let us go three, three days journey in the wilderness. He, he said, you know, when you go to Pharaoh, ask him to go three days journey in the wilderness. And he tells him, what is Pharaoh's response going to be? No, you're not going to do it. So I'm going to strike him, and I'm going to strike him hard. But there's a reason why he has to strike. Do you think that, that, that Hashem just simply wants to make Pharaoh uh, miserable, or does he have a point behind this? There's a point behind this. Because clearly, if he wanted to have the people released with no difficulties, I believe it would have happened. It would have happened. So what would be the purpose behind God doing such a terrible thing with the plagues in the in the land to of Egypt. The gods of Egypt. <clears throat> to destroy the gods of Egypt and to show that he is God. Now, what did he tell Moshe? Yes, that's exactly it. So this dialogue with Moshe here saying this. Uh, the proof that I am the God of your fathers, the proof that I am with you, is that all of the other gods are going to be seen as useless entities. It's... It's going to be obvious. There's going to only be one standing in the end. In the final redemption, we understand according to the Midrash that all of the pagan idols will bow down and declare that Hashem is God. Now, it's kind of hard for us to picture how can images of wood and stone bow down to Hashem and declare Him as God. But the idea is this, is in the end of days, it will become so blatantly obvious, it's, there, there, there will be no debate. And it, it, it will be so obvious because we will have realized that whatever deity a person has in their life, when it is not able to deliver their happiness and joy and materialism and physical 
physical, uh, what do you call it, niceties, then it will have failed them. Right now in America, what is the biggest idol that we have? Materialism, money, right? Uh, have you guys heard of the Mall of America? Have you yes. anybody been there? Yeah. Been there? It's I understand it's like unbelievable. It's probably it's like, more so now. It was ten years ago. Okay, yeah, it's I couldn't like can't imagine. They said that if you shopped, I don't know, t two minutes in each store, it would take you 80, 85 hours or something like that to shop all of the stores. I mean, think about it. We're, we are like a serious country of excess. And there's, uh, listen, I, 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 listen, we all like our nice things, right? We like having our stuff. But at some point, is it not just kind of silly to think about we're so consumed with it? Think about how many people in America this year uh, will go in debt over Christmas, right? Put it on the, their credit cards and go in debt. This, my friend, is the slavery of the gods. Does this make sense? It's the slavery of idolatry. It's the ultimate slavery. People are having to work overtime to pay for their extra credit cards. People have to work overtime to pay for their taxes. It's going to take us to a what? <coughs> February, May, before we paid our taxes, something like that. So, you know, we, we work hard all year to pay our taxes. Uh, Moshe responds to him by these great announcements. And he says, but they will not believe me. They will not heed my voice, for they will say, Hashem did not appear to you. Now, Moshe's being a practical guy. He's thinking, I left there with a record, okay? I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tell them God appeared to me. And they're like, oh, right, Moshe. Right? Sure, God appeared to you. So what's his response? Uh, someone read verse 2, starting with verse 2. Hashem said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses fled from it. Hashem said to Moses, Stretch out your hand and grasp its tail. He stretched out his hand and grasped it tightly, and it became a staff in his palm, so that they shall believe that Hashem, the God of their forefathers, appeared to you, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Hashem said to him further, Bring your hand to your bosom. And he brought his hand to his bosom. Then he withdrew it, and behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. He said, Return your hand to your bosom. And he returned his hand to his bosom. When he removed it from his bosom, and behold, it reverted to be like his flesh. It shall be that if they do not believe you and do not heed the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs and do not heed your voice, then you shall take from the water of the river and pour it out on the dry land. And the water that you shall take from the river will become blood when it is on the dry land. Okay. Rashi has, has some commentary here that I wanted to read. Uh, he says, uh, verse 2, what is in your hand? Uh, Sfarno, uh, Sfarno notes the juxtaposed uh, position of Moshe's hand and his staff to show him that God holds the power of life and death. A staff being dead, you know, it's just a dried up rod, and that it comes alive with uh, and turns into a serpent. 
Now the three signs he says here, it's interesting, Moshe is shown three miracles that he has commanded to re, that he's commanded to repeat for the Jews in order to prove his legitimacy. However, the first two of the signs, the snake and the tsaras, uh, were for Moshe's benefit as well to show him that like the snake in Eden, he had spoken slander against the Jews. Right. So what did he say? They're not going to believe me. Right. Already he was speaking Lashonara, right? Already saying something. He didn't know what was going to happen. Well, it actually happened, but <laughs> but to speak what even actual what even things that you know, but you speak it out of turn, that's Lashonara. That's evil speech. So even if I know what I'm saying is true but I say it before the person does it, I am almost pronouncing something on them that is a negative thing. So the first thing is the Lashon Hara, the, the, the hand. And then he goes on, he says, for, uh, for Moshe's benefit as well, to show him is like the snake uh, in Eden. He had spoken slander against the Jews and to punish him for it was through this skin lesion, which is the traditional punishment for the sin of slander. Because Moshe understood this, he fled from the snake. What happened when he threw the snake? When he threw the stick down? Like he was like, whoa, holy yeah. Moses. Uh, something like that. Right? But, okay, it's something like that. But I, uh, I told somebody I'm only scared of three kinds of snakes. Remember? Big ones, little ones, and sticks that look like them. Right? I don't like snakes. And he goes, because Moses understood this, he fled from the snake thinking it was to bite him in punishment. This according to Ranban. And by telling the Jews that God had stricken them with Tsarets uh, because uh, he had um, doubted them, he would reference, uh, he would reinforce their faith because they knew from history that God punished those who wronged them as he had done to Pharaoh and Abimelech. And in the name of Abraham and Sarah, finally, since the Nile was, in Egyptian, was an Egyptian god, the transformation of the waters into blood would show that when God punishes a nation, uh, he proves that its gods are powerless. Rashi. So, how do you think that Hashem will punish our nation for the murder of millions of babies? What God is he going to attack? The God of materialism. It's going to happen. So everybody needs to be prepared to preach to your brothers and sisters. When they're all woefully crying about the, everything that's going on and the money problems, say as soon as the nation repents, God will turn back his wrath. But it might take that to also turn righteous people to repenting, right? Because we understand how that works. Um, I don't know. It's something that we don't like talking about because it's such a horrible stain on our society. But I really do believe that if we knew the depth and the mm -hmm. sickness in which these physicians are engaged in, I can't even, I wouldn't even describe it in this room because it would be so utterly offensive to know what they do. And we're living in a nation that just ignores it mm -hmm. as if. It's not happening, and that's scary. I wish it was just that one thing. Though. I wish it was we're, just that we're one. We're much more than that. Absolutely. We're going to get so many things. So, so many things. So at all different <laughs> levels, 
there is, uh, just at all different levels, there is mm -hmm. such uh, injustice in our, in our world that we're living in. Even the clothing. I mean, we, it's yeah, every company is in Bangladesh and India. We pay them 33 cents a day. Correct. And we sell it for $30 a shirt. Yeah, Correct. we have so many I know. wrong things. Correct. So many. So they were talking about the Olympic team uh, wearing right. uh, garments made in China, right? And they were all up in arms over it. And so they decided, well, we'll, we'll buy only American-made stuff, but they sold gloves and mitts and stuff made from China. And as you well know, they're still selling them for $60 or $80 a pair, and they're probably buying them for pennies on a dollar. Yeah. Right. Right? You really can't tell what's made in the United no. States these days. No. You can't. Well, there's a place in China called USA. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. you know that? They named it. Intentionally. Yeah. And so, so when you see something it. made in the USA, read real close because it'll say the USA, China, and small friends. So. <laughs> Different food items too. It's hard, sometimes hard to track. Oh, absolutely. Dog food. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So the whole idea of eating clean becomes a huge challenge if, if right. you buy processed food. That's just the way it is. Okay, uh, let's uh, someone continue reading. My eyes are... Is that 10? Yeah. Moses replied to Hashem, Please, my Lord, I am not a man of words, not since yesterday, nor since the day before yesterday, nor since you first spoke to your servant. For I am heavy of mouth and heavy of speech. Then Hashem said to him, Who makes a mouth for man? Who makes one dumb or deaf? Who sighted or blind? Is it not I, Hashem? For now go, so now go. I shall be with your mouth and teach you what you should say. He replied, please, my Lord, send through whoever you will send. The wrath of Hashem burned against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he will surely speak. Moreover, behold, he is going out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will rejoice in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I shall be your mouth, and with his mouth and teach you both what you are to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and it will be that he will be your mouth, and you will be his leader. Okay, let's stop right there for just a second. Um. <clears throat> What is the, uh, the term heavy in speech or not a, a man of words? And he, and he indicates, you know, what is it? Is it a stuttering problem? Uh, 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 the um, Rosh says that, um, that it had to do with the fact he had been out of Egypt so long that he didn't speak the language fluently. I mean, that's possible. Have to think about what he was going to say. Right, right, and you know, maybe, and maybe it was the fact that he, he, he just had problems with uh, pronouncing uh, his speech. Maybe he had some type of speech impediment. I mean, who who knows what the actual issue is? But he feels like it's not within his capacity. Um, how many times have we felt challenged by something that we realize that God has? illuminated to us in Torah and we felt that we were not capable to meet that challenge mm -hmm. and we've got to understand that one of the greatest lessons is taught right here by Hashem and that is if I chose you I have the power to fix the problem I will give you exactly what you need 
And so one of the hardest things that we all have to face is our, our limitations, our inability, our human frailties that keep us from doing what Hashem would like us to do in our life. And so for some, for some of us, when we realize that we have a particular challenge that we have to step up to, we also have to have the strongest of Imuna to know that if this is what Hashem says, that He's capable of helping me through this. And that's why our prayers are so valuable to say, Hashem, I know that this is your desire in my life, but I am not capable of doing this on my own. I have to have, I have to have your help. You have to somehow put within me the sustenance, the things within me to achieve what I need to achieve. And God has always been so faithful. And it's unfortunate that most of us, including myself, have had to learn the hard way. That the only way that you learn that God is capable is when you realize, and in my case, that Rod is incapable. Right? As soon as I found out that I was not capable, then to worry about it, to, to be concerned about it, for one moment, doesn't achieve anything. Doesn't achieve anything. However, if I do not, if I want assistance from another man and God to use someone else, God was also capable of doing that. And who does he bring in? Aaron. <coughs> Where did we end up? 17. And this shall you, did you want someone to read? Yes, go, no, go ahead. And this shall you shall take in your hands with which you shall perform the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jether, Jether, Jether? Yeah, Jether. Yeah, Jethro. Yeah, Jethro. Mm -hmm. Okay. His father-in-law and said to him, let me, know, let me now go back to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go to peace. Hashem said to Moses and Midian, go, return to Egypt, for all the people who seek your life have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, mounted them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands. Hashem said to Moses, When you go to return to Egypt, see all the wonders that I have put in your hands, and perform them before Pharaoh. But I shall strengthen his heart, and he will not send out the people. You shall say to Pharaoh, So said Hashem, my firstborn son is Israel. Okay, let's stop right there. First things first, uh, we see the great dignity that Moshe has for his, his father-in-law, Yethro. Why did he go to him and ask permission to leave? Well, because he had committed his life to, to be with them and to serve, live in their home and to be a part of them. He knew that they had extended such kindness to him when he was escaping and leaving from his previous life that he was extremely appreciative, but at the same time, noticed that he did not tell Yethro what he was going to do. He just said, I'm going to go check on my brothers. The whole idea is they didn't want to alert uh, those people in Midian, and then it finally get to Pharaoh and somehow cause problems before he gets there. The last, the last line of the sentence is, and this is, and this is, my first born son, born son, born son. Israel. So, who is the only begotten son of Hashem? Israel. Israel. And those attacked. God says it. It's, it's a powerful thing when you see something the first time in Scripture. 
that you realize, holy Read smoke, again, huh? Read it again. Read it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, you have to, you go through it, and when you read something like this, you go, what in the world did I just read? What did I just see? Does anybody have any other translations beside that? Anything different? What verse so that you can, make, so everybody can take a look at it? 422. Then he says it again to the Pharaoh. My firstborn son is Israel. I say to you, send out my son that he may receive me. So whenever you go through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and it says, and it talks about the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, it's talking about his son, Israel. Why? Because over and over and over, Hashem says, my son, Israel, or my servant, Israel, or Judah, he'll call them one of the two. So we cannot get away from the fact that Israel is his first son. That's so in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, come on in, make yourself comfortable. In the kingdom of heaven, Hashem has a son. And that son is Israel. And he has, that son has children and family. And that children and family are the extended portions of the nations that attach themselves to the son, to Israel. And in the end of days, redemption comes to Israel and the Mashiach comes for his son and Mashiach himself. Powerful words, beautiful. Let's go on. So, someone uh, continue reading verse 20. Uh, yes. So I shall say to you, send out my son that he may serve me. Is that right? Yeah, that's fine. So, what is the reason why his son has to be taken out of Egypt? So they may serve him. They may serve him. Right. Right. So, the whole point is, is redemption is about is really about putting us in the place to be able to give 100% in service to Hashem. Next, go ahead. Okay. But you have refused to send him out. Behold, I shall kill your firstborn son. It was on the way in the lodging that Hashem encountered him and sought to kill him. Uh-oh. So what in the world is happening here? We have a turn in the story. Right? It was on the way in the lodging. Hashem encountered who? Hashem encountered who? Huh? Moses. Moses. Mm-hmm. And sought to what? Kill him. Boy, that's some heavy stuff there, right? Why in the world? What is all? Why all of a sudden is Hashem so ready to put Moshe out of his misery? Well, we see something in the next part of the text. Read with me what it says. Verse 25. Or, yes, 25. Yes. Uh, so Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and, and uh, touched it to his feet and said, You caused my bridegroom's bloodshed. So he released him. Then she said, a bride's groom bloodshed was because of circumcision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hashem said to Aaron, go to meet Moses uh, to the wilderness. So he went and encountered him and at the mountain of God, and he kissed him. Moses released, relate, related to Aaron 
all the words of Hashem that he had dispatched to him and all the signs that he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the children of Israel. Okay, let's, let's stop right there. <clears throat> Moshe set out for Egypt with his family mm-hmm. to deliver Egypt, Israel out of Egypt and hadn't circumcised his son. A big no-no, right? That's his firstborn son. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you put yourself in a prime position of leadership to bring the people out who has said, Hashem spoke to me in the wilderness. He spoke to me in the mountain, and we're going to return back to the mountain, and He's going to speak to us all when your sons are not circumcised. Like, who are you to tell us what to do when you yourself have not entered into the same covenant as your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So the whole idea is that the circumcision needed to take place, and the angel of the Lord was like, this isn't going to happen. Now, when it says that God sought to kill him, obviously Hashem is creator of the universe, and if he's going to send some, to kill you, he's going to send one of his emissaries to do it. He doesn't get his hands dirty because he doesn't have hands. He has assassins, angelic ninjas or something like that. So, uh, Zipporah circumcises her son. She's, you know, at this point, I'm not even sure whether... There's there's sort of some family dynamics that are going on here, right? (laughs) Guys, how many times have you not done something that you know you really should do, but you didn't do it because your wife kind of was resisting it. Oh, you're not going to answer it. You guys are so, so scared. I My wife's not here, and so she won't hear. Oh, forgot I'm on video. Never mind. I've always done everything. My wife wanted me to do. So the deal is this. Maybe she was resisting. Maybe she didn't want it to happen. Maybe... Maybe there was some resistance, and Moshe was thinking, "I'll get it done later." Mm-hmm. Well, weren't they pagans? Well, they could. They couldn't be because Moshe took them, uh, took her as a wife. Well, I mean, so, her father, her, his family. Oh yeah, his family. But there is also the indication that they were not your average pagans. No, right. Matter of fact, there is the indication that they were probably gear. Yep, and Jethro was a priest. I heard one rabbi mention, and I don't know how true this is, but that um, Moses had made an agreement with Jethro not to circumcise his son. Yeah, I haven't read that, but I, you know, I'd be curious. Anybody else hear that? Yeah, yeah. you have. Where did you, where did you get from that source? It, it was it was Kabbalah. Yeah. yeah, that he had made an agreement with. That he had made an agreement with Jethro to raise his firstborn as Jethro, as, as what they believed. Okay, well, the, the, and that's, you know, look, that's very possible, but if you are a, a ger toshav or a ger, mm-hmm. if, let's put it this way, if Jethro learned Torah from Shem, then they wouldn't need to be circumcised. Right, the circumcision was in the heart. Right, so the idea, but though the idea that Moshe comes and marries into this family now Moshe, being a descendant of Abraham, what did the son need to do if the wife is following along with Moshe's belief in Hashem? Circumcise the child. Right. So that's the whole point. Uh, for whatever reason he puts it off, instead uh, Zipporah 
circumcises her son. Um, and then obviously the angel of the Lord changes his, his mind and they are well on their way. Aaron is on his way to, uh, to meet the elders of Israel. Uh, it says that after Aaron spoke all the words that Hashem had spoken to Moshe and he performed the signs of, uh, to the people, the people believed and they heard, uh, they heard that Hashem had re uh, re remembered the children of Israel and that he saw their affliction and they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves. Now after Moshe and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, so said Hashem, the God of Israel, send out my people that they might celebrate uh, for me in the wilderness. Paro replied, who is Hashem that I should heed his voice and send him out uh, send out Israel I do not know Hashem nor will I send out Israel so they said the God of the Hebrews hap, uh, the God of the Hebrews happened upon us let us now go for three days journey in the wilderness and we shall bring offering to Hashem our God lest he strike us dead with a plague of the sword the king of Egypt said to him Moshe and Aaron why do you disturb the people from their work you're messing up my economic uh, stimulus package. Go to your own burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people in the land are now uh, numerous, and you would have them uh, cease from their burdens. On that day, Pharaoh ordered the taskmasters over the people and the foremen, saying, uh, You shall no longer give straw to the people to manufacture. Now think about this. You're going to make bricks without straw. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just not going to happen. It's a matter of fact, it's going to make the brick that they make weak anyway. I don't even know why they would want to do that. I thought they had to get it there. Yeah. That's the whole point. They yeah. So they they're not going to make, work. you can't make brick without straw right. is what I'm work. saying. can't make as many. Yeah. Right. And, and so if you're going to make it, you're going to have to, it, it's going to increase your, your labor right. to do it. So he increases the number of hours and the man hours and how hard it works to, to work to get the stuff together. And all of a sudden, the, the elders of Israel go from Moshe and Aaron, you guys are the two coolest guys around, to look what you've done to us. You've increased our, our burden. You're the reason why our burden has become so, so difficult. Uh, someone uh, read for me uh, where I left off. Verse, what well, I guess we start at verse. Um, we're in chapter 5. Yeah, so 7. Verse 7. You shall no, you shall no more give the people straw to make bricks. As till now, let them go and get straw for themselves. And and then, and the quantity of the bricks which they do make till now, you shall lay upon them, you shall not diminish nothing of it, for they are idle. Therefore, the cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work, let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor in it. <laughs> And let them not regard vain words. Okay, stop right there. 
There, there are two la layers of authority for the Jewish people at this time, much uh, almost the same way that Hitler did uh, in, the, in the Holocaust, in which the, the SS would appoint uh, foremen uh, that were Jewish people, Jewish males, to enact certain disciplines within the camp. Uh, it's a very difficult situation, but it's, a, it's a, a, an act of genius, if you can imagine. The foremen are scared to death of the taskmasters, and the taskmasters tell them, look, don't decrease the quota. As a matter of fact, you're going to demand the quota be the same, you, and, and the foremen are probably saying, but they can't keep up with the quota. And they says, look, if they, if they don't make the quota, then they're going to have to double up the next day. So there's nothing good is going to come out of this except the work is going to become more difficult and at some point absolutely impossible to do, right? So this for, these foremen, uh, the Jewish foremen protest in vain in verse thir, uh, 15 through 18. I mean, they're telling them, look, you know, you're going to put this on them. They, they're not going to be able to respond to it at all. Pharaoh increases the burden of the people. Uh, he is uh, convinced, as he was, that the people were simply looking for excuses to shirk from the responsibility. Pharaoh decided uh, the, excuse, uh, the, the best cure for, uh, for Moshe's incitement was to make the people's work so hard that they would either have no time to listen to Moshe or they would run Moshe out on his heels, right? Uh, so it was one of these situations where the work becomes more increased, the tension between Moshe and the elders would become increased, and he's thinking, I'll, I'll fix this right off the bat by just increasing the labor. In closing, before we, we close, let's bring it down to the 21st century. Um, how do we understand it? We, we know that the prophets talk about the, the, the exodus in the end of age will eclipse the ex, this first exodus and it will hardly be on the mind of people to remember the first exodus. It's hard for us to fathom that since every year at Pesach, you know, it's remembered this great exodus. The, the future exodus has many of the same kind of elements that this exodus has. It has the oppression of people, it has the cry of people calling for redemption. It will have um, a society that is attempting at every level to make it impossible to serve Hashem, to completely consume you in your life, to consume ourselves with our materialism or lack thereof, because you understand the lack of things can be just as taxing as having too much of a thing. And so it becomes the... Uh, ever-increasing responsibility of a few righteous people to continue doing whatever they can to keep separate, to be Kodesh, to, to be holy. Uh, we understand that the tribe of Levi did not allow this stuff to affect their devotion to Hashem during this time, which is, I, I don't even, I can't even fathom it and understand what was, how you do that. But nevertheless, the closer that we get to redemption, the, the, there's a term they use in basketball called a full, full court press. Have you guys heard that term before? Yes. Can somebody tell me what a full court press is? Can you tell me? Oh. You don't know. 
Okay, full court press. Though I can't give you the exact basketball mm -hmm. definition for it. The idea is that every every position on the team, on the opposing, on the side that's that's getting ready to do this, they attach themselves to every element on the other side of the team. Mm -hmm. So that is a full court press that nobody, you know, offense and defense is going to be tied to the hill. They're not, the whole idea is you're going to keep them so busy they're not going to be able to get the ball moving. And so it is the, it is the job of Hasatan to put on a full court press before redemption. It's the, that's, his, that's his job. And he gives, uh, he, as the emissary of the Almighty, he gives the world an opportunity to make a wonderful choice. And when righteous people begin to make the choice to follow Hashem and to do the righteous acts that God has called him to do, uh, everything that he will attempt to do is going to backfire in his face. Everything that the world is going to try to do to bring about more labor and more oppression is going to cause people's hearts to yearn for redemption. It's going to cause righteous people's hearts to begin to cry out for redemption. And so as we see our world around us and as we see the things begin to, uh, to heat up and conflict arise at certain levels and the threat of economic collapse, et cetera, et cetera, we should look up for our redemption draws nigh. And whether you are uh, of, of uh, what do you call it, righteous in the nations, who are doing your bidding or whether it's the Jewish people, we all have a job and that is we all have to draw close to Hashem. We all have to cry out for redemption and it will come. Amen. This concludes the class. Everyone say Shalom. Shalom.